please be aware that the comments, views, opinions shared on this podcast are not meant to diagnose a medical problem and or legal problem. If you do have a medical problem or legal problem, kindly contact a professional. Welcome to Annapolis a Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How are you feeling this week, my friends? Everything going good? Got your prescriptions, made your doctor's appointments, your therapy appointments? Good. I know you would. I just want to let you know, this is it. This is number 10. This is 10 in the books, 10 episodes so far. And it's going good. Each week we have a bigger listenership. We've got fans in Japan, Germany, Ireland, and of course the U.S. They said that this probably wouldn't go because it's about disability, but we're fooling them. We're fooling them. We're bringing it in there. Each week, new people are joining us, and that's all because of you. Well, this week, I got an important topic I'd like to talk about, and that is heart attacks. How many of you really know all the indicators of a heart attack? We know what we see on TV person clutches their chest, they feel weak, they're passing out, they got chest pain. That is a good indicator. (laughs) That's a very good indicator that you might be having a heart attack. But what about the less aggressive indicators? Things like you have a pain in your neck or a pain in your jaw or that burning sensation going down your left arm or it feels like you have gas. I'm going to use myself as an example here. When I had my first heart attack, I had no idea what was happening. I didn't have that clutching of the chest, falling on the floor, passing out. I didn't have any of that. What I had was a pain in my left elbow. (laughs) That's it. No radiating pain down the arm, no pain in the jaw, no pain in the neck, just a pain in my elbow. And it got so bad on Saturday night that it woke me up and I was nauseous from the pain. And I'm looking in my house for what I can do to relieve some of this pain. I got Tylenol, but the way it felt, I'd have to take a whole bottle of Tylenol. That wasn't going to help me. And then I seen that from my last surgery, I had a couple of Percocets in a bottle, and I was supposed to get rid of them, and I just never did out of laziness, I guess. I took one of the Percocets. Slowly but surely, the pain in my left elbow started to disappear. The Percocets are working on my head. I go back to sleep. I wake up the next morning, and there's the residual pain, you know, the pain that you have after the bad pain. I went on with the day. Later on in the morning, I went shopping for my wife. Gave me a list. I went down to Walmart, and I was getting some groceries. And while I'm down there, I'm starting to notice. I'm starting to sweat as I'm walking around the store. And I didn't put too much into it, but I was sweating. Then soon I started sweating profusely. I mean, it was as if I took a shower in the store somewhere. But anyway, I go over and I pick up a gallon of milk. And when I went to lift the gallon of milk, there was a pain that shot right through me. And it was in my elbow again. I'm like, oh my God. At that point there, I was kind of sure in my mind that I must have fractured my elbow. I don't remember doing it, but I, I must have fractured it or done something to the elbow. Then I started sweating even harder and my eyes were starting to hurt. I, I take the cart and I go up to the lady that's at the front door at Walmart. I said, I think my sugar has dropped and I got to get something in me. So she brought me right over to the register. I paid the woman at the register for a, a bottle of Pepsi and a package of Reese's peanut butter cup. So I, 
I go outside, I'm drinking the Pepsi, I'm eating the Reese's peanut butter cups, starting to feel a little bit better. So of course I reach in my pocket, I take out a cigarette, and there I am sitting out front on a bench, sweating like a pig, smoking a cigarette. The sweating's starting to subside a little bit, so I get up, I go back inside, I thank the woman, naturally, at the door, I take my basket, I go over, I pay for it, get out, get in the car, and I'm on my way home. As I'm driving up the highway, I'm starting to have these weird thoughts, like daydreams almost, that my car ran into the divider. Then my car ran off the other side of the road and into the ditch. I never thought of anything like that. I never had feelings like that. I kind of brushed it aside, took out a cigarette, lit it, and made my way home. I go inside, and I bring in the first bag. My wife looks at me. She goes, what happened to you? She says, you're soaked. I said, I don't know. I said, my sugar went down, I think, and I went through the whole story with her. She goes, go change. She says, I'll take the rest of the packages in. So I did. I, I went in. I washed up. I changed, put on new pants, new shirt. And I came out, and I'm, I'm belching. I've got unbelievable gas, but I'm belching. And it's not like one big belch. It's like rapid fire, little belches. Burp, 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 burp. <laughs> and uh, my wife looks at me. She goes, what is wrong with you? She says, your coloring is terrible. I said, nothing, nothing. I just got to go sit down. And of course, I go out the on the back patio and I'm lighting a cigarette and I'm out there. She's on the phone with her aunt now, who happened to be a nurse. And she's telling her, she says, his color's gray. He's sweating like a pig. He's belching. They both agree. They think I'm having a heart attack. Long story short, she says, I got to get you over to the hospital. So I'm going to call an ambulance. I said, no, no, no. I said, I'll go to the hospital because I knew there was something wrong. I'll go to the hospital, but you drive me. So after a couple of minutes of going back and forth and arguing, she finally relented. She figured, get me there quicker instead of standing there arguing. Well, we go to this hospital. She says, go into the emergency room. I said, go park. I'll come in with you. I said, I don't know what kind of neighborhood this is. We were new to South Carolina at that point. Again, she relents. She goes park, gets out of the car. She goes, come on. She starts going towards the emergency room, and she turns around, and there I am. She says, I heard a click, 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 and that was me. I was lighting a cigarette. So she just went in. She tells the nurse that, you know, some guy out in the parking lot think he's having a heart attack, and he's a moron because he's lighting a cigarette out there. The nurse comes out. She's got a wheelchair. They take me in, into the hospital, go straight through this these two big double doors that says chest pain center. And I'm like, I don't have any pains in my chest. I said, it's my elbow. And my wife is saying, would you just shut up? Go in. They get me on a gurney. They start oxygen tubes and all this other. I got people on both sides of me sticking me with needles. And the doctor comes in. He says, uh, sir, he says, you're having a heart attack right now. And that was it. Those were two of the most sobering words I have ever heard in my life. Heart attack. Now I'm scared. I'm very scared. See, at the time, I was 48. It was my first heart attack. My father had his first heart attack at 36. My father died when he was 48 of a massive heart attack. So this is what I'm thinking. I'm going, oh, my God. He says, relax. He says, we got the medication going into you, and, you know, we're running more tests and all this other. So he starts making small talk because he sees I'm upset, and I'm in no mood for small talk at this point. I'm having a heart attack. And the doctor says, do you like baseball? I don't know. I don't like baseball. you like football? No, I don't like football. You like fishing? No, I don't like fishing. Meanwhile, I love it all, but I just wasn't in the mood to talk. He says, now he starts getting doctorly on me, and he says, well, do you smoke? Now, I mean, stupid question. I just put a cigarette out. I can smell the cigarettes on me. I said, no, I don't I don't smoke. I thought my wife was going to fall off the chair. He says, well, you don't smoke. And he just looked at me. I said, nope. He goes, when did you quit? I said, 15 minutes ago. And honest to God, I haven't picked up a cigarette since. I had a heart attack. And the next morning, 
they had me up in the cath lab. They did a catheterization on me, and they found I did have a blockage. It was in the left anterior descending artery, or the left coronary artery, or as it's better known as the widowmaker. Nine times out of ten, people that have blockages in that artery don't survive. Well, not only did I have a blockage, I had two blockages in that artery, and they ended up putting two stents in there. If I would have waited another day, or if I would have waited probably 12 more hours, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you today. But that's the whole thing. I, I grew up around this. My father, like I said, when, I, when he was 36, he had this major heart attack. And I remember him coming home. He fell through the door onto the floor, and we had to call an ambulance for him then. I remember all the, the signs with him that we had to watch for. And he had had three other heart attacks after that, each one worse than the other. I, I seem to remember all the time his problems were left arm pain, chest pain, hard time breathing. You know, never a pain in your elbow. So who who do you even think of it? I, I didn't think of it. But there were so many indicators that you could be having a heart attack that we're not really up on. I mean, nobody ever brings them up. I, I guess they do, but we don't pay attention to them. And one of the things is a stupid little pain in your elbow. I never knew that was an indicator, but it is a... a pain in your jaw, like you're having a, a bad toothache. That's an indicator that you're having a heart attack. The pain comes down your jaw into your shoulder. That's an indicator that you're having a heart attack. The pain shoots down your arm into your fingertips. There's another strong indicator that you're having a heart attack. A lot of people just try to push it off, but you know what? I learned you don't push it off. I don't push it off anymore, that's for sure. I went to, after having the heart attack and being in the hospital, I went to what they call heart health, which is like an exercise program for people that have had heart attacks to get the blood flowing again and everything. And basically what you do is you go there and you're going to do some exercises with your with your hands and your arms, but mostly you walk on a treadmill. They check your, they check your blood pressure before and they check it after. And it's just a way to get you up and moving after having a heart attack. I went there and they have a class and they said, well, what would you do if you had this pain, you know, next time? I said, I, I really don't know. And they, they looked at me like, you don't know. You just had a heart attack. I guess I said, well, I guess I'd go to the hospital. She says, you guess you'd go to the hospital? I said, no, I'd go to the hospital. And she says, how would you get to the hospital? I said, I don't know. I'd probably tell my wife or I'd drive or something. And she looked at me again. This woman's like, this guy's an idiot. She says, no, if you had that pain, you call an ambulance and let the ambulance take you to the hospital. And I was like, I got a pain in my elbow, so I'm going to call an ambulance? She says, absolutely. She says, what did the pain in the elbow do this time to you? And I thought about it. I said, you know, what she's telling me makes absolute sense, I guess. And you think about it, if you drove yourself to the hospital thinking that you might be having a heart attack, and God forbid you are, and say you lose consciousness, all right, not only could you kill yourself, but you could kill innocent people, all because you didn't want to get in an ambulance, or if you, you had your wife or your husband or your kid drive you. God forbid something happens. Say you drop dead in the car. You're putting these people in a terrible position. Your best deal is to take an ambulance. The ambulance is set up for emergencies like this. They know what they're doing. They have the equipment. They have contact with the hospital. That's why they're there. You have a feeling that you're having a heart attack or something serious like that, you call an ambulance. And I've heard people say, oh, the money, the money's too much. Listen, if you have Medicare, Medicare pays 80% of the ambulance bill. You get stuck with 20%. What did the ambulance cost you? Say it costs $1,000, so you get stuck with $200. I mean, if you don't have it, nine times out of ten, the ambulance company is willing to make payment arrangements with you. Isn't your life worth more than $200? That's not an excuse. All right, let's talk about this now. 
heart attacks, well, now they say it's genetics, and but a good way to kind of stem off a heart attack is a healthy lifestyle. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, eating tree bark and tofu dinners for the rest of your life. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about eating in moderation, drinking in moderation. You know, overdoing of anything is no good for you. And of course, not smoking. I'm not one of those anti-smokers. I'm not, you know, one of the people that quit smoking, so now I'm going to make everyone miserable and make them quit smoking. <laughs> no, that's not me. Quitting smoking is probably one of the best things you can do. I know we all had our reasons for starting me. I started when I was young because I thought it was cool. You know, back then other people smoked and it was just the thing to do. And I just kept it going. It became a habit. I enjoyed smoking. You know, contrary to what a lot of these people tell you, they'll tell you how much they hate smoking. That's a lie. That's a lie. I look at it like this. I hate peas and carrots. And no matter how hungry I am, I could be starving. I'm not going to eat peas and carrots. Never. I won't eat them. I don't like them. I never have. If you don't like something so much, but yet you still do it, you're either an idiot or a liar. Don't tell me about, oh, big tobacco. They got you hooked with nicotine, this, that, and the other thing. If you ask me, that's a crock of beans, really. If you didn't like smoking, you wouldn't be smoking. And like I said, I always liked it up to the day that I had the heart attack. But then I had to make a decision. Am I going to quit smoking or I'm going to have another heart attack or I'm going to die? So I figured I'd like to stick around for a while. Quitting smoking is what I should have done a while ago. I had doctors all this time telling me, you know, they, they told me how cigarettes affect your health. When you smoke, you take a drag of that cigarette, it constricts your arteries and your veins, slows your blood flow down. If you have a blockage in there, think about it. And now it's constricting. Think about when you make a, a snowball, the best packed snowball. You put it between two hands and you push it together. You're making it it's strong. Well, it's the same thing that happens to the blockage in your, in your arteries. Your arteries constricts and now that blockage is getting squeezed on all sides. To the point that it's also stopping the blood flow from going to your heart. Keep on doing that and as the blockage picks up more and more, you keep on packing it in every time you take a drag of a cigarette. And before you know it, you have a, a big blockage or a complete blockage because of it. It's something that you have to, you have to make a, a decision. Now, sometimes people can't make a decision until it happens to them. And you know what? I found out the hard way. That, you, that could be too late. I'm not telling you that you have to quit because I say you have to quit. It's something that you have to think about seriously. And you have to think about it hard. And I know you don't want to. It's like telling a kid, don't eat candy anymore. And the kid's going to cry. And <laughs> so you when you first quit smoking because it's a habit. And I don't understand people that have heart attacks and then continue smoking. I was at heart health, like I said. And... You know, you went there three days a week, and you start making friends with the people that are there, naturally. So I'm walking out one day, and this fellow that I'm friendly with, we're coming out, and he's got a zipper. You know, he had open-heart surgery. We get outside in the fresh air, and we're just talking, shooting the breeze there for a few minutes. And he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a cigarette. I looked at him, I said, Vinny, are you nuts? Ah, you know, it's, I can't kick it. I've been smoking for like 50 years. Yeah, but you just had like open heart surgery, bud. Yeah, but you know, eh, something's got to kill you. This is the excuse they give you. If he really didn't want to smoke, if he was concerned that he might have another heart attack, then he wouldn't smoke. Maybe as a death wish. I don't know. All I know is I couldn't stand there with them anymore. You just had open heart surgery, a quadruple bypass, and you're going to sit there, light a cigarette, and to boot... It was a non-filtered cigarette. It wasn't even like a filtered, like a Marlboro or a Parliament or anything like that. It, he's lighting a non-filtered cigarette. 
and smoking it like it's nothing. I just had to walk away from him. I don't even want to be around somebody like that that has that little regard for his life because that's basically what it is. He has no regard for his life. It sends chills up my, my spine to see that happening. But if you don't want to smoke, you're not going to smoke. And people say, well, it's a habit. I can't break the habit. So there's things out there for you. There's gum, there's lozenges, there's the patches, which I think all of it is nonsense, to be honest with you. But if that's what gets you through and makes you quit, you know, good for you. you fall into that range where you might have a heart attack because of family history, I'm telling you right now, you should quit smoking. Hedge your bets. Don't add to the negative. Right? Do something positive. You gotta, if you already have it in your family, we're, we're going on long on this one. So let's take a break right here, and we'll be back in about 30 seconds. See you on the other side. An Apple a Day is brought to you by www.famousapple.com. Famousapple.com is the home site for this podcast. There you're going to find articles about the topics we discuss. You're going to find our connections to our Facebook page. And you're even going to find connections to our private chat board. So take a minute, go over, visit www.famousapple.com. But please wait till the end of this podcast. Don't run out on me now. Let's get back to the discussion. And we're back. And we're talking about symptoms of a heart attack and ways to prevent them. Now, besides eating healthy, another good way to try and prevent a heart attack is uh, a healthy, healthy lifestyle. You know, get out, move around. Instead of taking an elevator up one floor, walk the stairs, enjoy life, get out, play games, play football, play catch, play volleyball, <laughs> ride a bicycle, do something. Just don't sit in front of a TV and veg out. And reading is good for you, but sometimes you have to put the book down and go outside, enjoy the sunlight, enjoy the nightlife. Just enjoy being outside and be a little bit active. Walk around. Instead of taking the car to the store, why not walk? There's, there's a lot of things you can do. One thing I did want to bring out is that for people with diabetes, a high percentage of diabetics die from heart attack and stroke. Do you know the symptoms of a stroke? Again, unfortunately, I have firsthand experience. I've had three strokes. It isn't always what you see on TV where someone wakes up in the morning and they can't move their left side. They're paralyzed and their face is drooping and their voice sounds like they just came out of a bar. How are you? It's not like that. It could be a little thing from a very, very bad headache, dizziness, your eyesight is affected, to weakness. And you may see a, a slight droop, but not all of them are always there. What you have to do is you have to learn what the signs are of having a stroke and what you can do to get around them as well. My first stroke, I had had a headache for three or four days. And on the fourth day, it was it was excruciating to the point that I couldn't get out of bed. I got up in the morning at like 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I sat on the couch for about a half hour, and I said, I got to go back to bed. And that's not like me. I, once I'm up, I don't take a nap. I'm up, I'm up for the day. And uh, I went back in, I went to bed. I didn't get out of bed until 6 o'clock that night when my wife called me out for dinner. And even then, I couldn't eat dinner. I just, I couldn't eat. And my, my wife and her aunt, they're, they're looking at me saying, are you okay? Now, both of them are nurses. And I said, yeah. I said, I just got to go back and lay down again. I went in. I, I, I laid down. I heard my wife saying as I was going inside, she says, this isn't like him. She says, he doesn't sleep like this. And for him to get up and walk away from the table without taking his plate with him, she says, I know this isn't him. This is not him. I went in, I laid down. At about 8.30, she woke me up again. 
and said, look, we're going to have to go over to the hospital. Something's got to give here. And this headache, it was on the right side of my head. And it was excruciating. I can't even explain it. All I know is that everything bothered me. The light, the noise, anything. And you'd say, well, it sounds like a migraine. Very close. So I go to the hospital and there they futzing around at the hospital. And the, the doctor that I had, he said, uh, he said, I'm going to give you a shot of morphine for the headache. And that should do it and help you sleep tonight. Oh, okay. So he gives me a shot of morphine. We get in the car. My wife's saying to her aunt, she says, I'm surprised they didn't tell him to go see the neurologist. Her aunt agreed. And then my wife says, she goes, I'm going to call a neurologist in the morning and get you over there tomorrow. At that point there, the morphine was kicked in already. So I'm like, yeah, whatever you say. The next morning, I go over to the neurologist and they send me for an MRI and a CAT scan and all kinds of blood tests. And I get a call that, that next morning that I had had a stroke. And this is right before I'm going in for surgery to have my leg amputated. <laughs> I'm like, is it a major stroke, minor stroke? What is it? And he says, well, we have to see. He goes, it could be a TIA or a minor stroke. The TIA, what that is, is uh, it's a minor stroke. The effects of it don't linger. They don't stay stay with you. Like the weakness or a droop in the mouth or slurred speech, it comes back to you. And that makes it a minor stroke. Unfortunately, mine was a regular good old stroke. My mouth drooped on my left side a bit, and I had weakness on my left arm and my left leg. And anyway, I went for the surgery, and they always say, once you have one stroke, there's another one coming. Well, I was lucky. I made through the amputation. I went and I got my prosthetic, the below the knee, and it was about a year later. And I was told at that point that I was going to need above the knee amputation. And I went for that and I was home and recuperating from that. And I went and got fitted for a prosthetic and I was going to therapy to learn how to walk. And lo and behold, I had another stroke. This one here affected me worse than the first one. Now I had really a real weakness on my left side, so much so that I couldn't use the prosthetic because I couldn't get my residual limb to even be able to pick it up anymore. That puts me in a wheelchair, and again, it was on my left side. A couple of years later, I'm in New York here, and I have another stroke. This time, my whole head was killing me. I couldn't see straight. My eyes getting blurry. Everything was getting foggy. I was seeing red flashes in my eyes, and I ended up in the in the stroke in the stroke center in the trauma center. As it turned out, I had a I had another stroke. This time, it was in the artery that goes in, into your brainstem. It's there, and you know what? I'm not going to say it could be prevented, but a good way to help to prevent it is keep your blood sugar under control, healthy lifestyle, and moderation when you're eating and drinking. It's the same thing. It's very similar, a heart attack and a stroke. They're affecting two different parts of your body, but they're very similar. Because what it is, is in both cases, it's a blockage that's causing it. It's it's not that hard to, I mean, it is hard, but it's not that hard really when you think about it to be proactive. And especially if you're sick, you know, as disabled people, our lifestyles aren't like they used to be. We end up a lot of times with more sedentary lifestyles. And a sedentary lifestyle could be a killer for us. I, I just wanted to bring that out this week. And... I want to thank you for being part of the show here. Uh, thank you for the last 10 episodes. It, it's going along great. I hope we have 10, 20, 30 more. But thank you for being here, and I hope you have a good week. Remember, things can always be worse, always, no matter what. You take care of yourself, my friends, and I'll see you next time. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to An Apple a Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.